the Make an Impact podcast presented by the American Association of Suicidology. I am Chris Cosentino, and we are joined by Jeffrey Jackson, author of A Handbook for Coping with Suicide Grief. Jeffrey, welcome to the show. Great to be here, Chris. Before we jump into this incredible resource, uh, listeners would love to learn more about you and what really inspired you to make an impact in this way. Well, um, I lost my first wife to suicide in 1998, which is, I just passed the 25-year mark, which is unbelievable to me. Um, But um, like most people who um, find suicide thrust into their lives, it's it's a total traumatic shock. Um, The months, weeks and months immediately following it were a living nightmare. Uh, it was, you know, it was, it truly was. And the word survivor is often used to survive, to describe people who lose some of the suicide because it really is a process of, of existential survival. Um, and one of the ways I, I had many things to help me. I was really lucky. I had family and friends that were very supportive. I had a therapist, um, who my wife and I were already seeing as a couple. And so I I was able to continue with her support, but I joined a support group, an in-person support group that met in a church basement once a month. It was peer led. And uh, it was um, probably the most important uh, tool I had in my quiver to, to heal from this. And after time, um, and, and I'm one of the other ways I, I coped with it was I I decided to learn as much about the phenomenon of suicide as I could. So I consumed a whole shelf full of books about it. But I realized that when I met other people who were going through the same thing, that that was a very difficult thing to do. That wasn't for everybody to be able to sit down with a book about suicide when you're trying to still process the loss of someone you love to suicide. And when I was in one of my meetings, there was an older gentleman there who kept a little notebook with him, just one of those little spiral-bound pocket notebooks. And every once in a while, I'd see him jotting things down, and I asked him about it. And he said, well, whenever anyone says something that's helpful to me, I write it down, and then I keep this book with me, and I refer back to it when I'm, you know, when I'm having a tough time. And that combined with my background, which my first career was in advertising, where I've often had to take complex subjects and boil them down to uh, their essence in a simple guide or a simple, you know, publication. And I thought there was a a void of something that was portable, bite-sized, that wasn't too daunting for people to read, like a big tome about suicide. And Kind of this was at this point I was already kind of like three years into it, so I was I was pretty well as we like to say I was on the other side of my grief, uh, so I was in a better position to write such a handbook, and that's what I did. I put together this very bite-sized, you know, it, it's about you know between twenty and thirty pages. It's more reads more like a brochure than a than a book in terms of just sheer text. You can hop around. There's different sections. There's graphics and it it just kind of is a 
uh, a, a primer uh, on the top of everything I've learned about suicide. And a lot of people have found it very helpful. I connected with uh, AAS and you guys published it uh, 20 years ago for the first time. And we just, uh, I just updated it and we published a new version together. Yeah, that is wonderful. I mean, it is, it, like you said, it is a handbook, it's pocket sized. And uh, I, I think when you talk about this subject, you know, the last thing you want to do is just get this massive textbook, right? Yeah. And, and and it just becomes overwhelming on top of everything else. Now, one of the things you mentioned is is survival. And in, mm -hmm. in the handbook, you mentioned, uh, you know, your emotional survival and, and how you're going to go through, you know, the roller coaster ride of emotions. Um, you know, for our listeners who, um, you know, may be experiencing this uh, recently or, or maybe even, you know, a few years ago and they're still battling through it. Um, can you talk to that emotional survival and the steps that you have taken, um, you know, to kind of cope uh, in a way with, with, with your loss? Absolutely. Um, well, these days I, I counsel people directly, um, other people who've lost someone to suicide, both through a group and in one-on-one -on -one conversations. Um, and one of the things, there's a few fundamentals that I always try and impart to them on my first talking to them. And one of them is to understand and appreciate that to lose someone to suicide is one of the most traumatic experiences possible for human beings. Uh, the American Psychiatric Psychiatric Association has, I believe, five tiers of trauma, uh, and they group things into it. And, and losing a loved one to suicide is among the highest, most traumatic experiences. So I always ask um, the people who are going through it is to kind of respect that, you know, when they when they find, even if it is years down the road, or, or and they find that they're their grief isn't linear and that sometimes that's surprising to them. Like I was doing better and now I'm backsliding and I feel worse than I did before. Well, if you were in a horrific car accident and your leg had to be pieced back together with metal or something like that, and you wouldn't be questioning why six months later, hey, why am I walking with a limp or why is it still ache? You would know exactly why, because you were through this horrific, um, this horrific violent event and the same thing goes for losing a loved one to suicide. It is, it is a trauma of the highest order, and it it takes a certain amount of. Uh, I don't really like to use the word work, but language fails us sometimes. It's the best word I have for it of of effort to process it. It's 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 a sort of um, wound that time alone will not heal. I meet people all the time through my work as a counselor who uh, lost someone maybe decades ago, but for one reason or another, they were never uh, in a position to process it. Maybe they chose to not process it. Maybe their family kind of hid the suicide and swept it under the rug of their lives, but then it's waiting there for them to deal with it. So there's a certain amount of effort people have to uh, go through if they're going to come to understand suicide, which I think is the number one tool for coping with it, because it is fundamentally misunderstood by most people as a phenomenon. Uh, uh, so we, we tend to come to suicide with a built-in misunderstanding of it that leads us down some wrong 
and hurtful emotional paths. Uh, and, and then just understanding what we're going through as a sufferer and, and being prepared to, to do the work and, and be patient for the long process of healing. Now, you, you mentioned, uh, you know, it, how suicide can be misunderstood. Um, I just want to touch on that for a second here. And, sure. You know, what, w- what would you say are some of the, the biggest things that, that about suicide that jump out as being misunderstood and, and why that might be? We tend to think of suicide as a somewhat logical act, a response to an external situation. And I always say to the people I counsel, suicide fools us because we tend to then look for, okay, what happened that made this person make this choice? You know, and we we tend to reexamine the timeline of the days and weeks and months leading up to it. You know, what did that person do? What did something happen in their relationship, in their career? What did I do? Usually that ends up turning on to the inward on the person? Did I say something? Did I fail to say something? And the truth of it is that rarely matters. All that is is surface noise. Because what I've uncovered through my, and I probably have met and talked to well over a thousand people and heard their suicide stories, um, stories of the people they lost. There's no such thing as a sudden suicide. And it's never a direct reaction to some event. Every person, I believe, that dies by suicide has been battling a long, debilitating emotional illness. And um, there's always a catalyst, meaning some event that pushes them over the edge. But the problem is we then focused on that as the cause of the suicide. And the cause of the suicide is the actual underlying condition. And that is something the survivors really were powerless to prevent or intervene uh, with, for the most part. In your handbook, um, you know, you, you obviously talk about guilt, and and you know, one mm-hmm. of the things that you know is is a common um, description of it is you know when people deal with that why pain, you know, trying to figure out why this happened. And, um, you know, it's, it's one of those things that really had an impact on me as I read so many stories and, and, um, met with so many people who have been dealing with this. Um, I'm curious to know how you personally have, have you dealt with that? Why pain? How have you managed to, you know, in your journey through your process, um, not ignore, um, what, you know, uh, you know, what happened, but how do you evaluate it, learn from it, and then share that information without taking anything or making assumptions, like you mentioned in your handbook or, you know, taking it personally? Um, uh, yes, I definitely dealt with it. I dealt with it to an extreme degree because when you, lo- I lost my wife and, and it's a little bit different. You know, I, I talk to people who've lost siblings, who've lost children, who've lost parents, there's something about a significant other and a spouse that's a little different. Uh, and one of the ways it's different is that you, your entire life is intertwined with that person on a daily basis. And you've chosen the two of you together to kind of throw your lot in together and kind of make an unspoken contract that we're going to care for each other. So you feel extremely responsible when you lose that person. Um Guilt is something that seems to be the one emotion that's universal to 
everyone who loses someone to suicide. There's a clinical reason for that um, that psychiatrists have identified. One of the things that's most frightening to human beings is the idea that we don't have control over the events in our lives because we like to think we do. And when something like that happens, we lose someone close to us, we would actually rather blame ourselves than admit that we couldn't have prevented it or controlled events. So that's one element of it. But um, I just came to understand the reality of what, what is driving suicides. Like nowadays, there, there's actually even a push among mental health professionals to start classifying and diagnosing suicidality, uh, which is a kind of cumbersome word, but it's the best we have, as its own distinct condition. Not just it, it can coexist with depression and other mental illnesses or even substance abuse, but it's it's something distinct from it because there are millions of people that suffer those things and don't end up taking their lives. And I think we've it's been a mistake to look at suicide as just like depression on steroids. I believe there has to be something specific of a condition, whether it's a chemical, I'm not a scientist, I'm not a medical professional, but some sort of like chemical imbalance in the brain that leads people to suicide as a response to the pain in their life. So it's really just just coming to understand the truth of it. Like I said, it wasn't that event that happened three days before. It wasn't that disappointment that struck them the last month or something. Those are all... Like I said, those are additive things. I have my own theory about suicide, um, you know, that speaks to that. Now, in, in your, your book, A uh, Handbook for Coping with Suicide Grief, you mentioned that suicide is different than any other death. Why, why is that? With every other death, whether it's through disease, old age, even a, even a horrific accident, we are left with the innate understanding, belief, that the people we lost would still be here with us if they could. When we lose someone to suicide, there's the perception, and I want to emphasize perception, not reality, the perception that they chose to leave us. And that makes grieving very difficult and confusing and complicated. Um, it's almost as if we feel uh, divorced from them, separated from them emotionally. Um, and what we have to come to, that's why we come to realize that it's, it's really not, it, it's, it's not a choice in the true sense of the word. The, the number one thing I always say to everyone I counsel is that suicide is not a desire to end your life. It's a need to end your pain. The people who are who end up dying by suicide are all suffering a, a an emotional agony, sometimes quietly and without ever letting on about it to other people, sometimes much more visibly in terms of other attempts and 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 institutionalization or or, or a lot of things that are clear and visible. But they're all suffering a type of emotional agony that 
we can't even picture. That doesn't that that even our own agony as emotional trauma as survivors, I think, pales in comparison to what they must be going through to to lead them to that. And I think there's a condition that that um, creates that that trauma. And just to remind everyone, the uh, handbook uh, is available at uh, suicidology.org slash handbook. Um, it's uh, available as a PDF download, or you can also have it uh, mailed to you in a, in a physical form as well. Um, prior uh, to this handbook, you had uh, SOS, a handbook for su- survivors of suicide. Um, mm-hmm. To the latest one, what would you say are the, the biggest things that you've learned um, in, in making this update to the new, newest uh, version? Well, the thing that changed for me in the intervening years is um, – I used to live in, in the East Coast, and that's where uh, where it all happened for me. And I went to that first group. And then about 10 years ago, I moved to Los Angeles. And I decided to start volunteering with a support group for people who've lost people to suicide. So I'm one of four or five counselors who we have a weekly uh, Zoom meeting. The group is called Solace, S-O-L-A-C-E. And uh, it started out as an in-person thing here in Los Angeles when – COVID hit, we went to uh, meeting virtually via Zoom, and that's the way we've kept it ever since. And now we have people joining us from all over the country, sometimes from other countries. Um, But in talking to all the people that I do through that, I just realized that some of my thinking about suicide had evolved a little bit. I've even tended to shy away from the word survivor now because that was the term I was kind of taught when I first went to groups that but but sometimes that term is misunderstood when you say suicide survivor people think it means someone who survived their own suicide attempt which uh is not the case at all um so I just felt there was a need for some some updating about it and and also you know I've just kind of evolved my own personal theory about it that um I I believe that people who end up dying by suicide um, suffer from this kind of unique condition that causes the pain in their lives to accumulate. Um, I call it the accumulation of pain theory. Um, The you know we all go through ups and downs in life. We that's life. You have uh, setbacks. Sometimes you know we all some of us get more tragedy in our lives than others. But whether we realize it or not, we all are equipped to kind of process it, put it, file it away somewhere in our brain and and move on with our lives. But I believe there are certain people that are just not equipped to do that. And it's a common theme that you hear people say that that when they lost someone to suicide, that they often hung on to every tragic event in their life, even small disappointments, still continued to hurt years later. Imagine if, think of the worst thing that ever happened to you and think, imagine if it still hurt today as badly as it did the day it happened. And eventually these experiences, great and small, these, these, these pains accumulate. And at the same time, the joys that tend to balance that out, you know, success, friendship, good times, love, they don't seem to stick or take hold or have the ability to balance out 
the bad things and eventually it just reaches a tipping point where they, they can't. I mean, that's the calculus that's kind of sad that every person who takes their own life goes through that basically not living becomes preferable to living. Now, this might be a, a heavy question or um, or maybe not. Um, Go for it. What's that first you know piece of advice that you're you're giving someone that um, just lost someone? You know, what's that first, you know, when, when you hand someone that roadmap, you know, what's that first stop? Well, I already said the top two things. One is that, and I always tell it like, if, if you remember one sentence I say, remember that suicide is not a desire to end one's life. And you got to really think about that because it's counterintuitive because we know that they did. They went through. That's what suicide is. Someone took an action. Sometimes they enacted an elaborate plan. Sometimes that plan involved uh, deceit in order to cover up and not be discovered or stopped. I've I've heard some really elaborate suicides. Um, so we think, of course, they wanted to do this. But the the greater reality is that they were in this kind of psychic turmoil, this torment on a day in, day out basis to the point where life became unbearable. That it's a, That's the number one thing. It's not a desire to end your life. It's a need to end that pain. The number two thing I say is, is what I said at the top of our conversation, which is that what we're going through, and it's a, it's a lifelong process, um, is one of the most traumatic things that human beings can experience clinically. Uh, so, you know, you need to understand that because a lot of people, what, what typically happens is the first weeks and months, maybe they have a lot of support around them, but then maybe it's six months, a year, 18 months, and they're wondering, why am I still not myself? Why am I still, why is this still a cloud around my head that I can't seem to see past uh, and that's why it's 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 an extremely difficult thing to deal with. And a lot of times suicide um, for the people left behind is complicated by other things. Maybe they you know, if, if the family is dysfunctional, suicide will bring that to the surface. And all of a sudden there'll be blame and accusations because other people don't understand it. Uh, there are often complications left behind, uh, you know, legal complications, logistical complications, financial complications. So all that is, it's an extremely difficult thing to cope with. Um, but I, I just, I, I think that the number one task, if you're gonna learn to cope with this, and that's really what it is, it's, it's not something you get over. Uh, I don't even like that term or moving on, you know, you don't, I don't think we should move on from it. It's now if you've lost some of the suicide, that's part of your story now. That's part of your life. But what you can do is you can learn to accept it. You can process it and you can kind of put it in its proper perspective so it doesn't dominate your life. You can be happy again. You can enjoy life. You can even learn to celebrate the person you lost without it. Uh, I always say people, the, the, one of the goals, long-range goals, is to bring that person forward with you in your life because they're a part of you, whatever influence they had on you, but leave their suicide behind. But that's not an easy thing to do. It's something that takes time, and it's a process. Once again, um, a handbook for coping with suicide grief is available on the 
AAS website at suicidology.org slash handbook. And uh, Jeffrey Jackson, thank you for joining the show. Thank you so much, Chris. You guys do great work, uh, and I'm happy to support you any way I can. 